0: Turn to John 20, and we'll pick up at verse 24. What will it take uh, for God to make you believe Him? What will it take to make anyone believe in Jesus Christ? Are you aware that there's about mm, around 7 billion people on the planet now, and maybe 1 billion of them, maybe, um, maybe born-again believers. Uh, whatever let's let's say that so one out of seven people don't believe jesus is the christ they do not believe he's the son of god and they do not have eternal life just if we were operating off of those figures i can't prove that every one of that one billion say but let's just operate off of that if it's seven billion people and one billion professed believers on the planet there's a whole lot of people uh that have not put faith in Christ. A whole lot of people are not yet convinced. So, I ask myself, uh, what will it take for God, us, uh, a lot of times, to convince somebody of who Jesus Christ is and convince you so well you put your faith in him? Do any of you have that formula? Well, John has written a book. Unlike any of the other synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, his material is selected. He picks eight stories not found in the other gospels, and he's lined them up, lined them up, and he's got one goal in mind, and it's the theme of this book. This book, like 1 John, you don't know the key why the book was written until you read at the back, and you'll see it as we read the passage. Let's begin. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He was not there that first Sunday. So you never know what you miss if you miss service. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands and the mark of the nails, And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We want to look at uh, uh, several things here as we wrap up this. Uh, We only have another chapter in the book. But here's where he hangs out, the key to the book, the purpose. I'm going to look at three things. The purpose for which the book was written. We'll examine that closer. Two, the proofs that John rallied together to show Jesus to be not only the Christ, but Jesus to be the Son of God. Those rallied. What did he do to prove that? And it will be a review of the book because this is the whole message of the book. And finally, we'll just look for a brief moment at the patience of God with unbelief. The patience of God with a doubting Thomas. He couldn't have been kinder to him for his, I won't believe. And Jesus actually accommodating and gives him unmistakable proof of who he is. Let's look at uh, the purpose of the book and get that kind of ingrained in our mind. And you may get out early today, I'm sickly, puny, and don't feel like preaching. All right? So if you don't like the sermon, too bad. I'm just glad I'm here. And uh, what I may do in this service, like the first, is we, we did a Q&A at the end, if there's anything about this gospel so far that you don't understand, we'll have a question and answer period if you want to. Uh, Why did he write this book? He wants you to show you the signs. He wants you to come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, believe he is the Son of God, and he wants you to believe. There's two reasons this book was written. One is evangelistic and the other is apologetic. One I want you to believe I'm writing this book so that you will put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you read it just as literature, if you read it just as history, and you never put faith in Christ, you will have missed the purpose and the intent of the book. So, this is why we often are giving this book to say, well, tell a a new person, tell them to read the book of John first. Did you know the book of John is the most difficult of the four gospels? It's the hardest one to understand as far as the great theological treasures of it. Just get in John 5. Camp a little bit in John 10, John 16. It's profound theology, but we give it to them because he said this is the purpose for which it was written. So, in that, uh, if this is the purpose, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, Yeshua HaMashiach. I want you to believe this is the promised Messiah of the prophets and the Psalms. This is who he is, unmistakably. Not another claiming one. Not another itinerant prophet, whatever. He is the Messiah. He's the unique Messiah. Then... He says something else. I want you to believe that he is the son of God. Now, what in the world does that mean? Son of God. Uh, You see, when we think of son, we think of progeny. We think of procreation. uh, we, We think of somebody spun off this offspring. But the word son in Scripture, is used four different ways. Of four different groups is this term used. Sons of God were used to refer to the angels in Job 1 and 2. In the morning of creation, the sons of God sang at creation. They went into the hallelujah chorus as they saw God spinning out the Milky Way as God created in those six days. They were in awe. And they were singing. They were just overwhelmed. So angels are actually called sons of God. Now, what's interesting, you don't procreate angels. They weren't ever procreated. They never just spun off. They were created, no procreative power. So he's using that as a special category. Then he used son of God to speak of the nation of Israel. I have called my son out of Egypt, Hosea 11.1. They are my firstborn son. No other nation did he ever call his son. But he called Israel his son. He called Israel his firstborn. And whether you like Jews or not, God said, that's my firstborn people of all the nations, just as nations. And I've got special promises I've made to them. I've got a Messiah coming to them. I'll bring the scriptures through them. And I've got a kingdom program I'm going to fulfill to them. I'm going to fulfill it to Abraham, to David. I'm going to keep my promises to Israel. Treat them like my firstborn son. Double inheritance. Then, when you come to the New Testament, you've got us being called sons of God. those who are born again, are now in the category of a son. What's the difference of being a child of God and a son of God? Have you ever thought of that? There's places we're called children of God. There's places we're called sons of God. What's the difference? Well, this is the difference. A child may not uh, be entitled to the firstborn inheritance. A child simply means a birth relationship. Son was the position of privilege. And Galatians says that. We're no longer under babysitters and under tutors and mentors. We are treated like sons. We have adult privileges. We have all the blessings of the household. So you are given this great status of being called a son of God. By the way, this is so important that on your worst day, the Spirit of God is the one yelling in your spirit, you're a son, you're a son, you're a son. You don't realize that, but it's true. Galatians 4 says, the Spirit cries out loudly. And Romans says, he's witnessing to my spirit. You are a son. Act like it. You are a son. And if you've never heard that, maybe you're not. Because it's a work the Spirit does in every believer. And it's not tied to your gender. Even a sister is called a son of God. You've been born to privilege. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, what is he? Some said he's a spinoff. God procreated him somewhere. At some point in time, he began. Not so. John began the book. In the beginning, while all things were there, he was already existing. He's eternal, never had a beginning. It's used when he called God his father. Look at uh, John 5 5 um, 16. Jesus healed the man at the pool, uh, and he just didn't do it on the right day. You know, you got to be sure you keep your religious calendar up. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. I don't think we'd think a thing about that if right now you said my father. Did you know what? We're never told to call God my father. It's our father. We're in a community relationship This is unique. Now watch. The Jews were offended by him saying that. God is my father. They got mad. Look what they did. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. And notice how they understood it. Making himself... Equal with God. Now, why didn't Christ correct their misunderstanding? Wouldn't that have been simple? Oh, oh you don't understand. I'm not saying I'm equal with God. Oh, yeah, I am saying that. There's nothing to correct. And then, if you read the rest of the chapter, he goes on to say, you know what? God, can. the Father can resurrect, so can I. God, the Father... Matter of fact, he won't even judge anybody. He's committed it all to me. The Father can do something, I can do it. He never refuted it, he just weighed it in. Absolutely, I am equal to the Father in authority and deity. John ten ten. 10, I, 1030, I and the Father are one. Oh, that's interesting. How is that possible? Is God the Father and the Son the same person? How could they be one? Huh? They're one in unity. And the word for one is neuter here. They're one thing. They share the essence of God. I and the Father share the same essence. We're one thing. We're God. I'm not the same person as the Father, but I'm of the same deity. I am God. He's God. So we're not duplicate persons. So this whole book is written. Say, I've written this book in order that you may say Jesus, the human Jesus, fulfills the office of Messiah, Christ. Two, I want you to know that this Jesus is God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Can you uh, believe in Jesus and by other gods? Can you be saved and not believe in a Christ that is deity? That question came up in the first service. Someone says, can you be saved and not believe in his deity? Can you be saved and also go into the Muslim religion? Can you be saved and buy a lesser view of Jesus than what John portrays? Now, what did John do to defend his position? He gave eight signs, eight miracles. He turns water to wine. He heals the nobleman's son. He heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. He feeds 5,000 people in John 6. Uh, He raises Lazarus in chapter 11. Uh, He raises himself from the dead. In chapter 21, there's going to be a miraculous drought of fish that he does. He selects these miracles. Only God could do this. Only a man from God. Then, all through this book, he rallies the witnesses like he's in court. There's John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that ever lived among men. He said, I'm Messiah. I'm the Lamb of God. He announced it. I led a man to Christ in John 3, Nicodemus, a self-righteous Pharisee. John 4, I led a fallen woman to Christ. John 5, I got a man at the pool who'd been there 38 years well. On and on, I got these witnesses, the Father witnesses to me throughout the book. The Old Testament prophets, he said, witness to me over and over and over. Now let me ask you, what more do you want? As though God needs to waste his breath Proving to you anything. What would I have to do if you came and said, I don't believe you exist. Tell me that. Well, let me please do it. I I want you to believe I exist. And look at God. What does God have to do to prove to you that he really exists and that he's got a son called Jesus and that he's the only way to eternal life? How how, has God communicated to us? His word, creation. He's hung out his signature on all of creation. He's given his word through prophets, through inscripturation, through the apostles. I mean, when you think about it, let's just see this. Well, I would believe if you gave me more proof. Is our problem that there's not enough proof? That's all I'm saying. Why is it that people don't accept it? No matter with irrefutable proof, because of a fallenness in us, that we're darkened to the things of God, that the natural man does not welcome the things of God, but God has gone out of his way, gone out of his way to give us the proof, to give us the proof. I'm not asking you to believe something that I didn't authenticate by signs, authenticate by witnesses. Uh, or do something like this. You remember when he came, they, they came to get him in the garden? Jesus did this. Uh, the guard spoke, uh, trying to get Jesus. Uh, I'm looking for Jesus, and Jesus simply said, I am. Uh, what did they do? Then you try that. A policeman's going to arrest you. You just simply say, I am. Just say, just say, I am. See what effect it has. No effect. This was an evidence that that I am term, I am, goes all the way back to Exodus 3, because he revealed himself by a different name to the patriarchs than I am. Not to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he appealed a different name. But when he met Moses at that bush, He said, the I am is talking to you, Moses. The I am that I am being. It's a Hebrew word. It's hard to get a handle on it. It's the verb to be. I am being what I am being. I am eternal. I'm unchanging. I am being what I will be. I am being what I will be. I am being what I will be. I am the I am God. And so seven times in the book, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheepfold. I am, I am, I am. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? The Jew did because they knew I am. Ego I me in the Greek. They knew that phrase right there. You don't go around saying you're I am unless you are. And so, John says, I've written my book to show you that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, here's an interesting thing. What does believing mean? What does believing mean? Is it pure factual believing? I believe the facts. That's ha- You have to start with facts. What are you asking me to believe? So we start with knowledge, factual data. Give me the case. What are you asking me? Okay, here's the data you're asking me to believe. So just pure knowledge, and I'm afraid many people have been Uh, so-called saved, because they said, I believe Jesus died, buried, rose again, and they're not saved. But they know the formula. They said they believe it. They believe the facts. I believe the facts all my life. Raised in a Christian home, there's never been, been a time I need anyone to tell me the gospel. Tell that to the pagan kids. But I'm still going to hell. I was still lost. So, I didn't get more information the night I got saved. I didn't say, whoo, Uh, I just found out Jesus uh, died. I just found out, no, I didn't find that out. I knew it all my life. I believed that. I I, I would argue with the guy on the street, don't bring up God, don't say God damn when we're out. You can say SOB, but don't say God damn. Why? I had a God consciousness from my family I didn't mind all the other terms do that but don't bring God into it don't bring God into this I'm going to hell but I know who I'm rejecting I knew who I was rejecting it wasn't in the dark so there's three parts that the latins developed over the concept of believe and they use three latin words notion, Assentia and fiducia. And this is the three concepts that they unload from believe. One is facts, notion, the facts of the case. The second one is assent. Uh, I'm convinced these facts are true, and and I give uh, consent. Subjectively, I resonate with it. It is true. I have the assurance that it is the truth. But you still haven't touched the will. It's only in fiducia that we get the word for rely, a commit, trust, trust. That something in me says, I will trust what I've had revealed in these facts. Now, here's something interesting. What what saves? Let me ask you this. What saves? The facts Jesus died, buried, rose again, do those facts save or does the person save? Does just Jesus died, buried, rose again, does that save you? Now, he said these people were saved unless they believed in vain. The issue is you don't throw out the gospel, but the gospel must reach through the facts to the person. It's the person that saves. The person. And the person knows when in your heart you've assented to the facts and in your heart you've stretched out the empty hand of faith and says, I take you, Christ, as my Savior. I'm relying on you. I'm trusting you. I have believed in you. Now, today, we have so much confusion among people. Uh, I believe, I believe. I know the facts. And yet there's no life change. There's nothing different about what's going on in their life. And so we say, is this authentic faith? Demons have faith. Demons have faith. They tremble at the thought there is God. Saving faith not only knows the facts, not only gives assent, but it reaches to the person I am taking Christ personally as my Savior. I'm relying on him to save me. Because that's the only way, according to John, you could ever have eternal life. You do the Sermon on the Mount all your life, and you can't do it, but say you do, it won't give you eternal life. It never promised eternal life. Only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and John uses it 100 times, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. God so loved the world, he gave his son, that whosoever believeth shall be saved. Believe, believe, that is the hallmark term from John's gospel. Believe, believe that Jesus is the Christ. Believe that Jesus is the son of God. Believe that he is risen, for he's talking to us in a resurrected body here. Resurrected body. Now, We pick up his patience with the doubting man. Now, when you read the life of Thomas in John 11, Thomas, he thought Jesus was going to be killed, and they were going to go to Jerusalem to see him killed. And Thomas says in chapter 11, Let's go to Jerusalem and I'll die with you. So, this is a loyal follower of Christ. He truly is. He's really a disciple. But because he'd missed that week before, and they say, we've seen him in his resurrection body, he simply says, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I don't take the word of Mary. I don't take the uh, the word of the women. I don't take the word of you guys in this room. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it for myself. And of all things, Christ shows up in the room, It's all locked up, and boom, he's there. How did he get in? I don't know. He didn't have to go through the door. Just showed up. And immediately, he, this is an interesting thing. Guess what, Thomas? Uh, I know what you've been saying. I was here last week, and I missed you. But I know what you've been saying ever since. I've shown up to answer your doubt and give you something that's a gift. I'm going to let you examine me. And I want to show you my hands and show you my side. Help yourself. And of course, he makes this great confession. My Lord and my God. He believes unmistakably. Let me ask you, would you believe if a resurrected man stood in front of you and let you touch his body? Jesus said in Luke 16 that even if a man came back from the dead to tell you the gospel, if you don't believe God's word, that won't even save you. You won't believe a resurrected man if you don't believe the word of God. But Jesus makes that great, great beatitude. Blessed are you, Thomas, for believing for what you've seen But more blessed will be those utterly millions of believers in the future who will not get to examine my body, who will not get to touch me. Guess what? We're all waiting to get there to do the touching. I don't mind saying I want to touch him when I see him. I believe he's there. I have no doubt about it. I've already put faith in him. But guess what? To finally say my faith gives way to sight. And we see him who was crucified and risen and saying, trust me in the meantime. Trust me in the meantime. What does he give you for your doubts? He gives you the word. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you irrefutable proof in the early witnesses that this is the Son of God. This is who he really said he is. This is the purpose for which the book was written. Maybe you got questions about the 20 chapters we've been in. If you got a Q&A, we'll take questions from you. Uh, would somebody man a mic? I thought Larry was around here. Oh, there's Larry. Uh, and so let's just ask questions pertaining to these uh, themes in John, and we'll be glad to hear them from you. See if you've been listening at all. Okay. Who is it out there? You got a question? right okay they so he actually was physically dead and right jesus, three days and when jesus says lazarus come forth what was their uh, their reason for not believing who christ his deity was it's amazing that unbelief can refute any evidence it's hard to believe. Uh, yeah that was their problem they didn't believe and uh, that, I think this is what we think, even as Christians. If we can only give them more proof, if we can only present our argument better, and I don't know about a lot of you, I'm amazed at how little truth I knew when I got saved, and I got saved. You know, we've got it so loaded as theolo- theological types, you've got to jump 18 hoops even to get saved. You've got to have all the definitions of the Reformation. No. I need a Savior. I'm going to hell. I hear He saves sinners. I want you, Jesus. Anybody get saved that easy? Thank you. You didn't know what Nosha was. You couldn't spell tulip. You know, you didn't know anything about Reformation theology. And so He just saved us when we reached out. I believe you're the Son of God. I need a great Savior. But unbelief, uh, we keep saying, I often have used the illustration, If I told a blind man, uh, if I asked him, uh, how many fingers do you see? Uh, I don't know. Then i say, you know what he needs? More fingers. (laughs) How many? I said, I gave you all the proof. The human heart is blind, according to 1 Corinthians. The natural man will not welcome the things of God. Satan in 2 Corinthians 4 blinds the minds of the unbelieving lest they see Christ in the gospel. So we're always up against supernatural interference called satanic. Only God enabled you to believe. Only God. And only God will enable our loved ones that we're praying for. All right. Someone else. You you just touched on what I was going to ask. How? That blend with God having to open your eyes. See, God had to open my eyes. Yes. And it didn't matter how many times I heard it until he opened my eyes. Yes. Well, look, there's a verse, Barbara in Acts, that's quite interesting. Let's see, chapter 13. Uh, let me read it to you. Um, and... When the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. Is that what your Bible says? Most of you aren't even looking. It's on you. I told you the verse, 1348. Uh, Look at a verse that John said. John 6. No one, 44, can come to me unless the Father who sent me Draws him. Do you see that? Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is called sovereign election. Nobody gets saved accidentally. And it takes the special work of the Father to get you to come. You weren't accidentally saved. You were saved by sovereign decree. And God will see that the elect come. And they will believe. And if you don't believe, you're giving evidence you're not chosen. His chosen people believe. Because we have to have divine help to believe. The facts aren't enough. The evidence is not enough. The the witnesses aren't enough. The miracles aren't enough. Even in a resurrected body, I won't believe unless he lets me touch him. It shows how stubborn we are and say, well, why did I believe it and they didn't? It's called amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a stubborn wretch like me. I was in church, but I didn't want it. I knew it, but I didn't want it. I don't want it. I don't don't want to go to hell, but I don't want Jesus either. See, that was my dilemma. I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want Jesus either. I want to boogie, be cool, too young to be a Christian. You've got a young body at 14. You want to really, you know, stir up the town, you idiot. (laughs) So we don't want Christ, we don't want hell, and we won't do the only thing that will end it, believe. And so us who do believe, instead of throwing a boasting party that we're so great, we got it so good, we're so far beyond our neighbors who didn't, we will say, the Father especially do me. The Father opened my eyes. The Father, it's either that or your will is stronger than your neighbors. And your will is as corrupt as your neighbor's. Only God can make you one His son. Only God. And and I'm sorry it's that way, but He's just unattractive to the natural man. Next, someone else. Yes. Yeah, Pastor. Oops, sorry, I've got a voice. Okay, Pastor Howard, in uh, uh, John talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. Okay. Okay. I have always heard and been taught that the Holy Spirit came upon the day of Pentecostal. Right. And uh, we had this discussion in another Bible class that I am in, and the ladies were discussing this back and forth, and they come up with the fact that the disciples just need a little of the Holy Spirit to hold them for the next 50 days. (laughs) until the Holy Spirit actually descended upon the earth and to all of those that believed. Could you highlight that for me and make it clear? I can't see Jesus giving the disciples a little Holy Spirit. What he gives, he gives. Yes, so yes. So if you could clear that up for me, I'd appreciate it. Okay, we looked at this. Were you here last week, Linda? Get, get the, uh, the message. Because uh, we, we understand that to be, it, it's symbolic. He promised them the spirit in John 14 and 15, and he didn't breathe on them the, on them. He just whoosh, breathed. and when he did that, he said, "Receive the spirit. I don't believe the Spirit came in that room. Don't believe that, because all the way through Acts and church history, they knew the day of Pentecost is when the spirit came. But I think in symbol, he's saying." Whoosh, Receive the Spirit. Didn't tell him it's going to be 40 days from now when I send it. But I'm, I'm going to breathe him. And in that upper room, the breath certainly went through it. And all the signs and the miracles and uh, the tongues and everything that happened to welcome the coming of the Spirit. Uh, so I, I take it to be symbolic. And, oh, I, uh, John MacArthur, D.A. Carson... Uh, I'll give you a bunch of people if you want to read them on. I'm not just making it up. Yeah, so we just think that was symbolic. Someone else? To your far right, Pastor. To your far right. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good afternoon. Um, I won't try to uh, remember the first two words that you spoke. One that meant fact, and the other one was will, I believe. Uh, Was like a scent. Uh, One was notion, fact, the knowledge, then assent. Uh, I buy this, I believe this is true. You believe it's true? Yes. Okay, so fiducia I am familiar with. That means once you have the other two that you understand that it's fact and you accept that, so that fiduciary responsibility now falls upon us to communicate that to people that need to be saved or even accepting it as yourself. Right. Do I understand that correctly? Right. So you start with facts, start with the gospel, start with the work of Christ, and you explain what death, burial, and resurrection, what the implications of it are. that He paid it. Here are the facts. They need the gospel. They need to hear those. Then in the spirit of them, when there's a sin, I believe I'm being told the truth. I believe this is true. Then the heart, the empty hand of faith, says, I take you, Lord Jesus. I, I'm, I believe. If this is true of you, I want you. And so you reach out and commit trust. You take him. And it's an act of your will. I, I want you, Lord Jesus. Yeah. So it's, it involves those three. Because sometimes people say, just facts. Facts. No, 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 no. You can know the facts all your life and not be saved. And uh, okay. so... I mean, if you grew up here, especially when I first started this church, we all had our kids in Christian schools. If they went to Bethel or any of these schools, they heard death, burial, resurrection three times a day. I mean, the facts were just hit over and over, but it didn't mean they were saved. Is there anyone else? Okay. Then we'll pray over these kids. <laughs> have the choir come to the stage now as we have pastor answer this final one thank you um if we could go just a little more on sovereign election uh, i have heard that a number of times and i don't have a question more just like for your, uh, your reaction what i had been taught as a child is that uh, the idea that god dr- that no one can come to the father unless he draws him the bible says that and but i understood that that means God, try, God draws everyone to him, that that's a universal thing that God does. He doesn't say, I'm going to draw you and not you and those two over there. He doesn't draw that way. He draws everyone, but all that means is that it, and he enables us to be able to respond to him. That, that's a common argument. Let me read to you um, what he said in, in the 637. Uh, 44, he does the drawing. And if it's universal, that everybody, you know, everybody's drawn to the same degree. But notice 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So let's maybe move from drawing uh, to giving, if we just change our term. All that the Father's going to give the Son will come. And so he wants the gospel to go to all. Uh, We're to evangelize all. We're to pray for all. And we just simply say, ultimately, the power to save is in God's hands. And he'll have to do the drawing. He'll have to do the giving. And uh, he'll cause that Acts 13, 48. uh, All that were destined to eternal life believed. And so it's not the issue, is everybody given an opportunity? That should be our mission as a church. Be sure they're given the opportunity. Let's go. Let's evangelize. Let's share. But the ultimate results, we know, rest with God, not our ability to evangelize. Because you can beat yourself up all the, if I could tell it better, more would get saved. Well, uh, maybe the Father ought to draw better. He, he draws, so I think this is uh, it, what we call effectual. It's not, uh, he's not defeated in it. But c- the convicting work of the Spirit goes to the world, presenting those facts. And uh, But your argument is a common one. It's not a bit uncommon. And that uh, it's just a general call. Everybody's got the same amount of opportunity. And what I see in that, uh, it just lessens how difficult it is to be saved on one hand and how simple it is on the other. I mean, just believe. Just believe. We're not asking you to sign over your house. We're not asking you to be per- Just believe. Why is it so hard? And that's why I ask, what does it take for God to get us to believe? And besides all the facts, he has to intervene and do the drawing, the giving, I mean, I'm telling you, if he didn't get involved, I don't care, hear Billy Graham every day of your life, you still won't be saved. He's got to do the drawing. He's got to do the giving. He's got to, and I just, it's no other way. Unless we all just say we're all being defeated in our evangelism, we don't know how to get them saved. You know, once again, a lot of people say, They want me to be an evangelistic pastor because I don't ever preach the gospel. You know, I don't ever tell people how to be saved. I never explain the gospel here. How many times have I done Romans? I I, I, I say the gospel probably 10 times a week. I don't see people rushing down here to be saved. So I ought to be defeated, discouraged, beat up, Because I'm obviously a failure as a preacher. No, no. And I'm going to tell you, I evangelized for seven years for Pentecostals. Seven years. And I stayed beat up most all the time because I couldn't get them saved. And God finally told me at a Bible college, I called you to teach my people, pastor my people, share the gospel, but you're not in charge of ultimate results. It's in my court. That gives me more comfort. So.